Hello and welcome back to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa, I'm an actor and comedian and I live in Hollywood. And I'm Matthew Dempsey, I'm a psychotherapist and don't forget to download and subscribe and write a review. We'd love to hear what you're thinking. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you so much. Yes. In fact, that today is the Ask Us Anything show. Woo! We asked for your questions online and you wrote us back. I got a, like a couple of legitimate questions and Matthew got nothing but wedding proposals. <laughs> you said you got all those messages and you didn't check at all to see who was hot or who was attractive. No, I wasn't checking anybody's accounts. I was just getting the questions so we can figure out which ones would be the best ones for us to start <laughs> answering. If any man of the same gender shows me the slightest bit of attention. <laughs> I want to know. I want to look at the goods. I want to I want to see You want to check it out? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Is there a certain type of guy that goes after you at all? uh is there like a, a consistent type that is uh, barking up the Matthew Dempsey psychotherapist tree? Uh, I don't gay guys, I don't know. <laughs> not really. Not that not that I've really been tracking. Really? Yeah. Why what about you? Have you noticed Well, when a I was young, type? When I was young and beautiful, um, I would get all the uh, rice queen types. Uh, and th those men tended to look like Uncle Fester. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with looking like Uncle Fester. I mean, if that was my type, this would be your lucky day. But right. I mean, literally the only thing that would be missing was the light bulb in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing that I've noticed is I've started to pay attention to how many um, younger guys are starting mm. to reach out to me. Yeah, because you so have the like, white in your beard now, so you're daddy. Yes, the, the white's the white's coming through. You know, I'm a therapist. I'm just like really like stepping into that daddy role. So yeah, yeah. So that does that have any uh, hold any intrigue for you playing uh, the daddy role? Um, you know, I would say like I would say not really. Although mm. um, my boyfriend is about ten years younger than me, so maybe there's a little bit of that that's happening. Is, you have a new boyfriend? I do. <laughs> This is yeah. like, I can't keep up. Last time I heard, like every time I kind of emotionally invest, I go, oh, he's seen somebody. That's nice. It's like, <laughs> we broke up and now you have a new. <laughs> so this is, this is brand new. It, yeah, it's been a few months. Oh. It's new. Yes, okay. new love. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah, will yeah. buy on air. <laughs> but I trust and believe that after this conversation is over, yes. on the microphone, I want to know <laughs> all about it. <laughs> I've missed you. We we uh, took a break last week, and uh, we did. Uh, I've missed you, and uh, I think you're you're you got a little more gray in your beard, and uh, <laughs> yes, it's slowly creeping in. Are you still rested from your vacay? I am. I will say that it wasn't the exact kind of unplug and recharge that I hoped, because um, you know yeah. I thought, well, you know, I went to a little a little surfer town in Mexico. Thought I'd be able to escape the mania of uh, 2020, but you know, it just kind of follows you. So yeah, I got a decent amount of rest, but yeah, not exactly what I hoped. Which good. brings us to today's subject, because everybody is is dealing with 2020 in yes. their own way. Some people are successful. Some people are not. Um, I, I was speaking for myself. I've had varying degrees. Um, uh, uh, last month, I, I talked to my therapist. Um, I talked to my therapist every Monday. And, he, and it was a particularly challenging week. I think mm -hmm. that we, and he was, and I, I felt so defeated and he said, everybody feels defeated right yes. now. Yes. But it was especially that week 
He's like, you're the third person I've talked to uh, this week who has the exact same feeling. Everybody's feeling completely defeated. Yeah, everybody's feeling very defeated. And I would agree. All my clients are kind of echoing the same thing. And I had a client yesterday who kind of who articulated it, I think, in a really great way. And I also related to it, Mm -hmm. which is he just said he said, I feel he's like, I just feel so kind of flat. He's like, I, you know, he's like, sometimes I kind of feel like a little all over the place. A lot of times I just feel flat and maybe it's a bit of detachment. I'm not sure. He's like, but to be honest with you, I'm not, I don't think I want to change it. He's like, I kind of just want to ride this out until Ah. everything starts to kind of settle a little bit more. And I was like, you know what? I kind of relate to that. There are moments when I kind of just feel flat, but I don't feel really overwhelmed. And I'm just kind of like, you know what? Maybe I'll just ride this wave for a little while and hope that like when the rest of the world starts to reset itself. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of check back in on some stuff. In dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT for yes. short, that is a your favorite, mechanism. your very favorite therapy. My the, uh, coping mechanism is called, I like it because it's practical things. Mm-hmm. They said, um, ride the wave of your yes. emotions. If you're feeling angry, just really feel it and ride the wave because yeah. they pressed. They have a, a, a climax and then it, it subsides. Yeah. And and I've learned that because I'm all about um, emotion avoidance. <laughs> <laughs> so DBT is perfect for you then? Yes. I mean, as a former, you know, uh, as a recovering sex and love addict, um, uh, you know, it numbing out just kind yeah. of uh, that's that was the escape. But now as a more mature woman, um, I am uh, <laughs> I'm learning to kind of really sit with my feelings because you're going to have to feel them eventually. Yeah. And I think that it's really good, especially for men and even gay men more so than ever, uh, to be able to recognize that so many gay men check out of their emotions. And it's because, you know, we grow up as men learning to not be able to appreciate or understand and connect to our feelings. And then especially as gay men, too, it makes us feel like we really have to disconnect from that if we're going to have any chance of being a good enough man in the world. So there's so much of the work that I do with a lot of my clients that's about just getting back to a place where we can recognize what are we feeling, that it's okay, that being vulnerable is a strength, it's a superpower. <laughs> I'm broken. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> yeah, so Listen, I, I always felt my feelings as a kid, but I the reaction to it was like, um, you're too sensitive. No, but that's the thing and that because it's not as though that like all men are so detached that they're not feeling anything. It's that we don't actually see the value in what we're feeling. We think that it's something that's wrong. It's something to be fixed. And when we're doing that, then we avoid it. And if we're avoiding it, we're either just going to numb out to it and be very passive to things and be totally detached emotionally, or we're going to be hyper reactive because we don't know how to manage our feelings because we're not better acquainted with them. Oh, you're this is a perfect segue, Matthew. Dempsey, multicultural yes. psychotherapist. <laughs> um, here's a question I got on the Instagram. Okay. My father passed almost four years ago. I have never felt so detached and cold. I'm not sure who can help. Oh. Now, to me, the, the solving for X in this situation is it sounds like a, he feel it, he, it feels unusual for him to de- feel detached and cold. Yeah, like, uh, I, I don't know how close he was to his father. He didn't mention that. But the right. fact that he's bringing it up and he goes, I don't know. I'm not sure who can help, but this is a problem. Have yeah. you ever come across anything like this? Sure. I mean, some people, especially when it's the first time that they're having any real significant loss, which it does kind of seem like that that's what this question is alluding to, hmm. that it's so challenging because it can be such 
a deep emotional experience that nobody's ever, you know, that this person has maybe never tried to figure their way through it before. So they're not acquainted with the, the stages of grief. You know, do you think that there's a certain detachment that's happening here as a kind of like a uh, um, protective mechanism? Uh, like I'm trying to protect myself from how, how much this hurts. This is what I would say. I would say detach to detach is part of the process, right? Like a denial. That's the first stage of grief, kind of denying that any of this is even happening anyway. Mm. And so that's embedded very organically and naturally into the grieving process. Okay. So like the, okay. So the, the, the classic five stages of, of grief and loss are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Those are the five stages. So denial is the denial is the first stage. And so that means that we're just going to feel very, you know, kind of detached. We can feel very cold. We almost feel, you know, quite numb to things. So that's going to be a part of it. This is a huge loss. How are you not supposed to feel a depth of sadness? Right. And the only time that we can feel so incredibly cold and so incredibly lost through it is when we think that maybe something's wrong or we're afraid to open up and talk about it. And so we're not connecting with other people. Right. That's exactly what we want and need to do. Well, yeah. When my mother died, my, my emotions were like Mr. Toad's wild ride. I mean, I would go through all five stages in one day. And then I think that my detachment manifested itself that I had some days where I literally didn't feel anything. Right. I don't know how bargaining came into it for me. Right. Yeah. I think that was more when she was in the hospital. Yeah, well, these five stages, it's not necessarily a straight kind of linear thing. We can kind of cycle through um, all of them. Your advice to this person, uh, long story long, would just be this is a part of it. It's very normal. Reach out. It's very normal. Connect with others. And very talk. normal. You're normal. Yes. Um, some people don't like that word normal. Some people prefer <laughs> typical. Um, <laughs> you, you have to be careful these days. Yes, you do. All right. Can I read you another one? Yeah, let's go for it. Uh, here's a good one for you. How can you get over fear of trusting someone after leaving someone who was abusive? I'm just curious. What are your thoughts straight off the bat? Uh, well, as somebody who has been in an abusive relationship. Yeah. What have you done? The show is called Hot Mess. Uh, uh, that kind of recovery is, this is a long process. It involves a lot of layer, layers of forgiveness. Yeah. Um, forgiving yourself, first yes. of all, yeah. or putting yourself in that position. Mm-hmm. And then eventually forgiving the other person. Yeah. And kind of like therapy helps a lot, gave me a more 360 view of everything, mm-hmm. understanding all the players involved, understanding all the uh, movement involved. And it's such a cliche, but time yeah. uh, makes a big difference. And then you just eventually let go. It's like a, it's like a detox. Yeah. And I think there are certain things like uh, uh, somebody in an abusive relationship, uh, I learned that there were a lot of red flags, things mm-hmm. that I would never put up with again. Like for me, like they were deal breakers. Just kind of any kind of um, emotional, abusive, emotional uh, manipulation, any kind of passive aggressiveness. Um, There was a lot of that, you know. uh, uh, But in order to be able to call that stuff out, you have to be aware of it first. So I would say to this person, that is a challenging process because the entire um, kind of premise of an abusive relationship of the abuser is to manipulate and is to chip away at your sense of self. So that you feel as though you have no other options and that they are your best choice. So the best way to be able to kind of process that is to be able to get into a support group or go to therapy, start talking to people about it. So you can start to get some of what Alec you're talking about 
which are the red flags and you can call them out. There's a lot of gaslighting, a lot of manipulation, all of that stuff. Being able to understand that part first and getting to see the patterns. And when we do that, then we have a little bit more of a conscious sense of how to, you know, keep an eye out for things as we're putting ourselves back out there. It's always going to be hard. It's always going to be a vulnerable process, searching for love. Like Maya Angelou says, have enough courage to trust love one more time and always one more time. So it is vulnerable. And especially when you come from experiences of abuse, mm-hmm. and it's going to be that much more vulnerable. So just know that it's going to take a lot of time to yeah. check in on stuff and then courage to put yourself back out there with some awareness. It took me a long time to be vulnerable again. Yeah, oh my God. It took me a long time to be emotionally involved. So I just had sex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's typical gay man. (laughs) Hit it, quit it. All right. Um, Do you want to ask the next question? Yeah. So the next question that we have says, I am a gay man and looking for a relationship and to settle down. It's particularly hard now with the pandemic. I feel very lonely and depressed. I guess maybe if we're to assume a question in here, it's what can you do about that? How are you how are you meant to manage this feeling of loneliness and depression during a pandemic? Loneliness. Yes. Okay. this is what I want to say, especially for us as gay men. I don't know any group of people that is better equipped emotionally how to handle something like this. Because when we've come from a community who has been, you know, where an entire community has been has been wreaked havoc by HIV and AIDS and all of the aftermath of that, we know very well what it's like to have to put ourselves out there and have to be very aware and conscious of how to take care of our health. Knowing mm-hmm. that we're never 100% going to be able to avoid risk, right? Risk right. is going to be a part of it. So to know this, that of course you want to make sure that you are taking all very appropriate precautions, doing a lot of virtual stuff first and getting a sense of who somebody is, maybe Uh kind of seeing like what the risks are that they, they have had. And then at some point, if you're really wanting to maybe meet up with somebody, if you're dating, online dating, stuff like that, just be careful about it. You know, go on like a coffee date, sit six feet away. You could have a coffee date. You could have a Zoom coffee date. Yeah, you can. But Alec, be honest. Nobody's going to fucking do all that shit. Do you know what really? I mean? People, yeah, I mean, they're going to and they, they have been and they will. But inevitably, people want to connect in, in real time. And so that's what I would say is don't let other people shame you as long as you know you are taking very reasonable precautions of meeting up with somebody. And if inevitably that means like connecting skin to skin, then, you know, do you. But you got to make sure that you you're said nobody's going to go on a Zoom coffee date. You wouldn't do that. <laughs> I would if, you, go, if somebody was interested, you know, somebody yes. you had a phone conversation with them and they had an intriguing personality and like, you looked at their Instagram and you found them attractive. Yes. And they said, you know what? I'd feel more comfortable just going on a Zoom coffee date. Would you do that? Yes, that I would do. I'm not saying that people don't do that or I wouldn't do that. I'm just saying people aren't going to exclusively do that. That's like teaching abstinence-based sex education in school. It's stupid. Uh, okay. So it's kind of like at some point people are going to want to, but everybody's feeling a lot of shame about meeting up in person. And so maybe they're they're not doing it or they're doing it secretively. Just take reasonable precautions. And beyond that, then, you know, it's always going to be a risk no matter what. Right. Okay. Here's one. Now we're moving into anxiety and depression. Oh, how fun. (laughs) This is going to be fun. Yes. Uh, Nellie asks, how can I manage? <laughs> I am Nellie. How can I? How can I manage my emotions? I am 
always so worried about what other people think of me. Oh, yes. Alec, do you relate to this at all or? Uh, no, not at all. Not at all? Um, <laughs> I, you know what? It's, it's, it's a burden to worry about what other people think of you. It is. And it's a very, uh, and then you reach an age, well, I reached an age uh, where it's a very, to me, it became a very adolescent, juvenile way of thinking. Because right. the actual truth is nobody's thinking about you. Everybody's kind of caught up in their own thing. And I think it's somewhere in our mind, we're telling ourselves a story that, that people are thinking about us more than they actually are. Yes. More than they actually are. And actually, if people are thinking of us, it's, it's, the reality is it's just like a passing thought. Yeah, absolutely. And so the other part of this too is, and I agree with all of that, it's taken me a little bit of time to kind of figure that out too. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's like the idea of, um, you know, I need to stop thinking about what other people are thinking about me. That's none of my business, right? So we need to check back in with ourselves. And anytime that we find ourselves tipping too far into the thinking part of our process, right? And where we start overthinking, that means then that we're not checking in on the second part of our process, which is emotional. And so if we're spinning about what everybody's thinking about us and, and all of that stuff, more than anything, it's just kind of a projection of fear about mm -hmm. how people might be viewing us negatively. Mm -hmm. So then bring that back in and get curious and be like, okay, I'm, I'm creating all of these stories. Those are my stories. So these are my fears. So let me, let me check in then. And you know, what are the fears that I have? Fears that people are going to think that I'm not fun. Fears that people are going to think that I'm not cute. Fears that people uh -huh. are going to think that I'm too much all that shit and just be able to check back in with us so we can get better acquainted with our own narrative and start rewriting that script. And remember that you're, it's, I think that worrying about what other people think you give away a lot of your power. You're yes. kind of letting other people decide how you're supposed to feel about yourself. And ultimately that should be. Up totally. To you. I like what's, what's the, what's the one thing that you actually do still get caught up in that you fear well, people I, are thinking I, what about you? I have a terrible story that kind of relates to this. And it, and it hit me at my most vulnerable point. I was a young actor living in New York. I was doing a play on Broadway and I was at, I was at a, a diner and I was sitting uh, with my back to people who had seen the play or yeah. I was sitting someplace where they couldn't see me, but I could hear them. And they said, oh, this is Alec Mappa. He was terrible. Uh. Oh, he was terrible. He was like from NYU. I mean, who did he blow to get this job? He was such a faggot. And he was just like, wow. I mean, it just hit me on one, my talent, yeah. two, kind of being queer. And it was just all kind of like, and I kind of like, like now I would have been, I would have turned around. I, I would have said, go fuck yourself. I got a job. Yeah. And you're talking about me in a diner. Yeah. You know, yeah. Eat shit. But back then, I just remember crumpling in on myself. And it just, it, it really hurt me. Like I, I thought about it for a very long time. But so did that stick with you then? And that you, and that it enhanced this fear that people were thinking that about you all the time? No, I'm always, I'm a solver. So I was like, you know, I had to navigate my way out of that in right. terms, emotionally. Like, yes. is it true? Wait, is but true? Alec, that's like, people actually said that about you, though. That's not you making it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but is it true? And does it matter? You right. Know? Yeah, I am a big queen. So what? I mean, if that's my big, you know, I didn't murder anybody. But uh, but that, that I had to go, you know, no, I'm a solid performer. And, and that's what got me here. That's yeah. That's what got me the job. Good that's for you. Why that's why I'm in the show. So, that's but, such, and I love that because that's such the power of recognizing what is it, maybe, maybe I'm hearing a little bit from other people, but also what is it that keeps coming up for me? The story that I tell myself, right, right? right? And being able to frame it as a story that I tell myself, because then that's something that we can change instead of just buying wholesale into this bullshit belief that this is the truth, right? Yeah. Well, that was like a punch in the gut though. That yeah. was like, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Oh my that God, for sure.
It was terrible. Why don't you read the next one? Okay. So Henry asks, I hate fighting with people. I do everything I can in order to avoid it. It makes me feel sick to my stomach, but then I feel filled with regret. Okay. So I actually relate a lot to this one. Because you're um, you get a lot of fun. <laughs> no, it's just because I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. I had a kind of an experience of growing up where there were larger personalities that I had to cater to and try to, you know, kind of walk on eggshells and keep the peace around. So I've carried that with me through my life. And it's been a big learning curve for me to figure out a that I do that B where that comes from. And also how much then that is my own fear about if I'm not keeping the peace, then what's my value? How am, oh, I, wow. how am I supposed to keep a seat at the table if I'm not the one who's actually making everybody feel good about themselves yeah. and in, you know, in, in a moment. And so being aware of that was huge. That was the first step for me to be able to start making changes. And then it's just about taking the risk and putting yourself out there and having to tell yourself as I have many times, I'm going to, you know, say what I need to say. I need to say how I'm feeling. I need to express what's going on for me. And if people aren't going to be down for that, then that's fine. And I'm going to have to say, you know, I love you and also goodbye and move on and to know that I'm going to be yeah. okay. I, I think this is about like, he says he gets into a bunch of fights. This sounds like somebody who's like in a lot of conflict. I think it, uh, my advice would be to choose your battles. I mean, really think about but I, it because it's, it's, I think people who get into a lot of fights right. are, might be reactive. Yeah. Might be things personally might yeah. be uh you know and to me like online fight an online fight like a facebook fight that's not a real fight yeah i feel like those things are somebody's trolling you on twitter that's not a real fight yeah a real a real fight or a discussion or or a difference of opinion happens face to face where we work it out and we hear each other out yeah blah, blah 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 but i you know when you have as a father i've learned to choose my battles Yes, totally. And then the, every once in a while, there is a deal breaker where it's kind of like, no, we have to talk about this because this is not cool. Yeah, I don't engage. I don't engage in debate. I, I engage in discourse, not debate. But if somebody's coming at me because it's they want to hear what they have to say or they're trying to prove their own point, that's a conversation for the, they can talk to a wall with that. You know, that has nothing to do with me. So I don't even engage in it. I'm trying to talk to you, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're terrible in a fight. I, do you shut down? No. I'll be honest with you. I think I'm quite good in relationships in a general sense because I'm, I practice what I preach. So I know how to love and I know how to love big. Aww, yeah. Come at me, bro. Fight, uh, it's usually about um, uh, one of us has taken something. We like, we, we, we crack each other up and we're always joking and we'll say insulting things to each other every once in a while, but every once in a while, I won't be ready for it. My defenses will be down yeah. and it'll just, I'll be like, <laughs> so we fight about that um we have we haven't had a bunch of real fights we used to fight over how much sugar our kid ate like he was such a sugar yeah uh, he was so strict about sugar and one time we had a fight in trader joe's about raisins <laughs> and i said i can't believe we're, it's not a snickers bar right and it was one of those things where neither one of us were gonna back down and we were really gonna die on that hill <laughs> Uh, he, he said he said through clenched teeth, could we not have this discussion in Trader Joe's? <laughs> there was one time I remember this was like years ago, probably a decade or so ago. And uh, I was uh, in a relationship of a few years and we were moving in together and we were in Ikea and mm. we were just so strung out and stressed from everything, finding an apartment and then having to move and all that stuff and just getting new furniture and whatever. 
And I don't even remember what we were talking about, but I had that like little Ikea list rolled up in my hand and I just uh-huh. wanted to whack him in the face and I kind of went to go do it, but I stopped myself and then he went and he lifted his hand and he stopped himself and we're like, oh shit, we have to walk away from each other right now because we're there. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> called de-escalating. <laughs> yes. See yeah. That? You know, Fights in my 20s, I had my college boyfriend and I, neither one of us would ever back down. We both had terrible tempers and we would just go hammer and tongs. It was awful. Yeah. So, okay. Um, uh, yeah, on we go. Here we go. Um, okay. Jen asks, my boss says really mean things to me. I never know when he will lash out. I need the job and the health insurance, and I don't know what to do. I work hard, and I feel so nervous. I cry going to work. Oh, That's terrible. That is terrible. And my heart breaks, especially at a time right now where everything feels so unstable and you know, people are losing their jobs and we just kind of want to hold on to what we can so we can have a source of income when everything else is going crazy around us. It can for sure make us feel like we don't have legs to stand on to be able to speak up for ourselves. Mm -hmm. I would actually say to first be able to talk to obviously people around you and make sure that you're getting perspective and you're getting support so that you then can nurture yourself first and, and, and feel a little bit more secure in that sense, but then have a conversation with your boss. He might, I mean, this is a crazy time. So maybe everybody, I'm not trying to justify anything. So I'm, I'm not sure the extent of this, but you know, everybody's just kind of losing their shit right now. Right. Might not even be fully aware of it. Have a conversation with him first. It's difficult. It's very uncomfortable, especially when there's this power differential, right? Mm. But to go in and just attempt that avenue first and have a conversation about how you've been feeling, um, not in like an attacking or blaming way, but just what your experience is, is your and start statement. there. Yeah. Yes, I statements. And then yeah. if that, and then if this guy, if this, I was going to say guy, but I'm not sure this guy or this girl or whomever is being a real asshole, then go to HR and at least be able to talk to them and get some guidance about maybe what's going on if human resources is a thing for your job. There's there's a practical defense too that my uh, 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 my therapist came up with for me because my father would always say something crappy over the phone. Yeah. You know, my father would always say something that would inevitably piss me off or hurt my feelings. And he says, you have to go in emotionally prepared and kind of knowing that that's going to happen. Yeah. Right. Because this is a lifetime pattern. It's not a surprise. This has been going on your whole life. Yep. So he came up with this exercise called uh, the plexiglass wall. You ever been to a bank and the teller is behind a plexiglass wall? It's bulletproof. Uh, the person could be on the other side screaming and shouting. And but you Like Kamala that- and Mike Pence. Exactly. But that <laughs> fly got through it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that that somebody could be going bananas on the other side. Yeah. You could just remain perfectly calm. And I thought that that's not going to fix anything. But I actually did make the mental adjustment in my head one time before a conversation with my father. And it worked mm-hmm. because I went into it prepared. I went into it like it's like I was expecting it. And I had the, I had a defense in place. Yeah. So that when it came up, I was like, good. Also, um, my husband who has, he's a producer. He deals with a lot of difficult personalities. He is an expert at not taking anything personally. Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm a therapist and I'm an expert at not taking things personally because I get a lot of stuff thrown my way. Like people will say shitty things to him in emails and over the phone at stuff that I would be like, what the fuck? You know? And he's like, okay. He like brushes it off and he moves along. And it's not that he's a doormat. I mean, I think it takes an order. Uh, a lot of emotional intelligence to yes, do that. Yes, 
Absolutely. No, yeah. But it's, it's uh, not taking things personally is a huge, huge um, skill. Yeah. And like you said, it takes emotional intelligence. So getting, you know, getting familiar and acquainted with what's our own fears that can get stirred up when somebody's attacking us, how much might we believe in some of those things, personalize it because when we're believing in it, that's when we go on the defense and attack. And that actually only reinforces the belief that what somebody's saying to us is true anyway. That's why we have to get acquainted with what our own shit is so that we then can sort through it and we find ways of responding instead of reacting. And you have to take care of yourself. Absolutely. You have to really, really take care of yourself. Yeah. Also, I've worked as a server at a, a, a restaurant and, and in, a, in a very high uh, maintenance place where they, the customers were terrible. And I used to sit Oof. in my car before my shift and yeah. just take five minutes ago. I got you. I'm going to take care of you. Yeah, like, good. Like, yeah, just kind of like I was, I, I would emotionally prepare myself to kind of deal with those people every day. Yeah, I used to work in retail. And there was a time probably back when I was in my early 20s when uh, I had this just real asshole customer and he came mm-hmm. up to me and he was like barking me about something and I kind of gave it back a little bit and he like went crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and I was just like, I'll be right back with you. And I went to the back and I went into the bathroom and I just sobbed. I just started crying. Oh. Because it's hard. And so I was like a yeah. kid. I was like a kid yeah. and this older man's yelling at me. So know. You know, give yourself a moment to just release too. <laughs> I know. And like, you know, I, I, it's like talking about not taking anything personally. People, when people are hungry, they're at their worst. They're yeah. angry. They're impatient. Yeah. And, you know, just, uh, and feeding them, it was just, uh, forget it. Yeah, absolutely. I would tell that woman to please, please take care of yourself. Yes, absolutely. Don't, try not to take things personally. Yes. All right. Do you want to read the next one or should I read the next sure. one? Sure. Dave asks, I worry about money every day. I don't think I save enough and it keeps me up at night. My parents terrified me about savings my whole childhood. This holds me back with everything I do. It sucks. Okay, I can speak to this one actually very personally. Um, Mm -hmm. So when I grew up, my parents split up when I was about five. Um, My mom was really kind of like struggling to raise three kids um, and to be able to afford everything. There was a lot of that conversation that I was privy to. It was constantly, we don't have enough money for this. We don't have enough money for that. And so I know that my mom absolutely did the best that she could and she did an incredible job. There was always that seed planted though, that there was never enough money. And so that became my relationship to money was that there was never enough. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I took with me throughout my life. And so that was really difficult for me because I found myself, you know, going crazy and always just trying to grasp for like the next dollar and whatever. And I remember a time when I started my private practice and I was kind of going through, I, I talked about this recently on a different show, but when I was like, count, like literally counting, like all the different clients that I had to make sure I had enough money. And my friend Bob was just like, you're, you're like um, Scrooge McDuck. You're like, basically just like counting all of your like gold coins all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I had to realize that that wasn't a real issue of money. That was my own fear that I was not going to have enough money, but truly more than anything, a representation that I felt like I was not enough to procure a life for myself that would be abundant. And so realizing how much I was focused on the lacking in my life was actually manifesting and turning into lack. Because when we think that there's not enough, we grasp and that's never a way to actually welcome something into our life, welcome abundance into our lives. So I had to let that go. And the moment, and I remember doing this in therapy too, my therapist was guiding me through it. The moment that I said, fuck it, if I'm not making enough money, then I'm not making enough money. I'm just going to show up and like do my work and it's just going to be what it is. 
the clients started coming through and I started making more money. It actually started manifesting because I wasn't fearfully grasping for things anymore. It's not necessarily just magic. It's actually subconscious intentions that play out that we're not even aware of. So be aware of that. Focus on more abundance mindedness. I do it through gratitude journaling. I do it through writing down affirmations and then also releasing the fear, noticing when it comes up and releasing it, making the conscious choice to release. Also the worrying about money is really never about money. It's kind of like my, my therapist said, you identify as your money. Yes. That's your problem. All we have, all yeah, all we ever do is project out, right? We can project onto our relationships. We project out onto our jobs. We project out onto money. It's, Mm -hmm. it's all these things that more than anything, just represent how we're feeling inside. So becoming ultimately. So he said, separate yourself from that. Okay. Let's let's, let's not look at the amount that's in the bank right now. And he said, how much are you worth as a human being? Yeah. How much are you worth as a friend? Yeah. How much are you worth as a father? How much are you worth as a husband? How much are you worth as a sentient being on this? You know, and I was like, I'm worth everything. Yeah. I'm fucking fabulous. So <laughs> that changed everything because for so long, um, you know, I was, uh, we, uh, we grew up wealthy and then my father lost everything. He had a business crash when I was 14 years old. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And so, but we're Asian. So we had to pretend like everything was fine. Right. So uh, my thing was always kind of like about the big cover up. It was always about appearances. Yeah. Even if you don't have it, you have to appear as if you do. Yeah. And so it's, I think that a big step in adulting, big step in parenting ourselves psychologically around money is to detach from the identification with it. Yeah. You are not your money. Yes. You're not house. Yes. You're not You're not any of that. You're more than that. Yes. And if you're in DRE, you are not your hair. That's right. <laughs> Somebody said that you had a wig, that you had a lace front wig in one of the. Uh, <laughs> well, I take that as a compliment because I do not. Why would they do that to you then? <laughs> All right. Did you read the last one or did I? Uh, I think I did. So you go ahead. Okay, here we go. Can you talk about being a love and sex addict? How do you know if you are one? And I, I can answer that really, really quick. Um, I knew I was a sex and love addict when I was in an abusive relationship and I couldn't leave. And the reason I couldn't leave was because of the sex um, I, I, I identified with, um, talk about identification. Yeah. I equate, I equated sex with value. My value as yes. a person. Yeah. I was, I only felt validation as a person. If somebody was physically attracted to me or having sex with me. But the problem with that is because you're seeking validation outside of yourself, you never feel it. Mm-hmm. And because the essential thing is I'm not enough. I can't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what I'm worth. It's a self. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, because you're already. It's like seek and don't find. It's yeah. you're already coming from a place of lack. Mm-hmm. You're not coming from a place of wholeness. Yeah, and uh, these are all things I learned in uh, uh, SLAA. Back then, it was called Codependence Anonymous, but now it's SLAA. They kind of branched together. But Slaw, it was. Yeah. Uh, I knew I was a sex addict when um, I realized that my 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 behavior. I'm not going to say normal was not typical. I couldn't leave the house. I was all, I always left the house prepared to have sex or, or right. to, to be sexual with somebody. Yes. Like it occupied my consciousness. Yeah. And it was really all about like, that's how I valued myself. That's how yeah. I felt. I was, I didn't know my essential value outside of a sexual relationship. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of sounds like for you that one of the biggest telltale signs was just that it was interfering with your ability to just move through your day to day without mm-hmm. having that consume you. Mm-hmm. But the real, the real thing is that I was with somebody who was a very bad person. I knew he was a bad person. I couldn't stop seeing him. Yeah. 
And and that was and like you know whenever I if I ever have to play a drug addict or a cokehead, I know exactly how to do that. Because yeah. When you're addicted to something, it's not like it's happening completely. I knew. Yeah. The whole time, and that right. that scared me yeah. that I was cognizant that I was doing something bad and I couldn't stop. Yeah. That was a real conversation killer. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody wants to know about monogamy and gay relationships. I guess just kind of what our perspective is. Go. All right. Uh, we've been together for uh, 18, 19 years, and it's not a deal breaker. Yeah. If um, I, I don't see, we've built up so much equity as a couple and so much trust. I bought a house. I mm-hmm. married him. We're raising a child together. We've been through everything together. And um, it would seem foolish. This is just my opinion. Not everybody yeah. feels this way. It would seem foolish and superficial to um, to break up with somebody and to leave them mm-hmm. Because they had sex with somebody else. To me, that doesn't seem like... And also, we've had a lot of sex. We're talking 18 years of sex. Yeah, I yeah. get that he wants to fuck me. And I'm not insecure about that. He's made the point. <laughs> yeah. And also, it's kind of unrealistic for me to think we could go through 18, 19 years of marriage. And for us, neither of us, to ever be attracted to other people. Yeah. So, um, it's not a deal breaker, but there are rules around it that we negotiate. Yeah. I think that you just have to have the same values in terms of, you know, it's, it's, you just have to have, yeah, and you have to talk about it. That's the rule. And that kind of spoils it for me because the sexy part is a sneaking around and being secretive. That's what makes it hot. So having to like, you know, talk about it, this is like a real boner killer. (laughs) (laughs) But getting to do that. And I think it, it, you know, having the conversations, getting on the same page, creating rules for whatever it is that anybody wants or feels right for them, you know, and staying open to that potentially changing at some point. I think all of that is really key. What's surprising to me and what comes up a lot actually is how much shame gay guys feel for wanting a monogamous relationship. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, because there is such this kind of um, this almost like charge of conversation around, you know, being more evolved and being sex positive and being open. And so making sure then that you can be in open relationships and don't put too much. I've had so many clients come through and and people that I know personally, too, that say, like, I think I just kind of want a monogamous relationship. And they say Mm. it really quietly, like that they think that they're less evolved. All I will say is that there is no right way of doing it like personally personally i've never been in in an open relationship Hmm. and my own kind my own kind of navigation on this is i think if i'm in a relationship for you know a handful of years or something i could see myself inevitably having some of those conversations and being open but i think i would really love a foundation of monogamy to to start i think that you can't have a non-monogamous relationship unless you have that foundation yeah but that's just that's just me and that and some people know themselves very well to know i can't be in an in a monogamous relationship so so know that Regardless mm-hmm. of what it is, whatever it is that you want is okay. And just be open and clear about that. And if that pushes people away, then that then those are not your people. Right. And you're making room for the person who does want those exactly. things. Exactly. Your yes. values have to line up. But yes. we were monogamous for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> and not, not that I mean, we fight. I love having sex with my husband. He's really dynamite in the sack. Yeah. Uh, 14 years i mean we wow before we opened it up before we kind of like looked at it kind of like oh and it was like the next kind of leap for us however we did negotiate it with a counselor i love that yeah that's that sounds great yeah because the where it gets weird is where they're sneaking around and you're not being truthful and it's now 
And I'm my heart's attached to my face and I think in my mouth. I'm a terrible liar. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. So I I couldn't lie to him. And 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 we're so clear in our energy with each other that, you know, if we're off base, it's like, what's up? What's wrong? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's it. The yes. end. We solved the world's problems. Yeah, this was, was fun. It was I, fun. I, I think that we should do a, an occasional ask uh, Alec and Matthew show um, just to kind of. A, yeah. I love a hot Q&A. Yes. Just to let our <laughs> listeners know that we care. We really do care. I mean, I started this uh, podcast because I do feel like people um, suffer in silence a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, because they're ashamed or embarrassed about being a hot mess or having a hot mess. And it's like, yeah. don't be. I'm living proof that you can't die from embarrassment. Perfect. Yeah. I love that we get to just be really open and uh, offer our perspective on this stuff. Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist, where can people find you on your social medias? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MJ Dempsey Psych and Matthew J. Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. You can find me at Alec Mappa on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also find Matthew and I on Instagram and Twitter at The Hot Mess Pod. Um, Send us your questions. We love hearing from you. Uh, We love hearing um, how much you love the way Matthew looks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I swear, after COVID's over, we should do this live someplace. We should, just to see folks in person, I think we'd have a great time. Um, We're so, yeah, we are uh, a new podcast. Our audience is growing and growing and growing and it's because of you so thank you so much don't forget to download and subscribe to the hot mess podcast uh, we appreciate you and we'll see you next week bye guys the alec mappa hot mess with matthew dempsey psychotherapist podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical financial legal or other advice diagnosis or treatment This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.